Good morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. It is a delight to welcome you on this first Sunday of Advent. This is a season in which we prepare our hearts to be mangers, to receive the Christ child. Let us worship in spirit and in truth. Will you join me in reading responsively our call to worship? What we choose changes us. So in all our choosing, O God, make us wise. Who we love transforms us. In all our loving, O Christ, make us bold. How we create remakes us. In all our creating, O Spirit, give us courage. Where we live reshapes us. In all our living, may we become whole.
us join together in our opening prayer. Almighty God, as we begin this season of Advent, remind us again that in the midst of our darkness, you are bringing us peace to calm our anxious spirits and hectic lives. Turn our hearts again toward you. Make us ready to receive your Son, our Savior. Slow our pace and give us the blessing of feeling your peace in our spirits. For we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. as a symbol of Christ our hope. May we be the hands and feet of Christ our Lord. May the light of his love shine through our words and our deeds as we love our neighbors as ourselves. May the light sent from God shine in the darkness to show us the way of our salvation. O come, O come, Emmanuel. I would like to ask for the attention of the children for children's time. 
This morning I have a story to tell. Um, this is the first Sunday of Advent, the season of waiting. Waiting can be a difficult thing to do. Um, some people wait patiently, but most people don't, especially during a really busy season, like the season that leads up to Christmas. The story that I have to tell you is from when I was a little girl. I think I was, I guess I had just turned five two months before, and my father was at sea. My father was a Navy submariner, so um, when his submarine went out to sea, um, the other families would get together for Christmas because it was really sometimes hard to travel to be with our extended families. So the Harrison family and the Scales family and the Foss family were together for Christmas. And all the, all the dads were out somewhere under the Atlantic Ocean somewhere in their submarines. And uh, the moms had given us instructions as they put us to bed that we were not supposed to go downstairs anywhere near all the presents underneath the tree. Uh, and just to make that point really, really strongly, they pushed a very tall dresser in front of the staircase that led downstairs to the tree. So everybody went to bed and Edward, who was the oldest of the Harrison children, I guess he was three or four years older than I was, and Edward woke me up maybe four o'clock in the morning and we went and looked at the staircase and we knew that we couldn't get over that really tall dresser so we actually pulled the bottom two drawers out of the dresser and then we just climbed right through it and went down the stairs and opened every single present the ones for us and the ones not for us. And then we divided them up amongst ourselves because we, we knew what the really primo gifts were and we chose those for ourselves. Well, that was not a good Christmas morning because eventually the moms all woke up and the other children all woke up and they came downstairs and they saw what we had done. The other children saw that all the presents were opened and they cried. The moms who had wanted to see the delight on everybody's faces as we opened presents that had been carefully chosen, cried because they weren't going to be able to do that. And also they didn't know how to write thank you notes because we didn't know which gifts came from which person. And then Edward and I cried because we had chosen the gifts that we really wanted and the moms redistributed them so we didn't get everything that we wanted. So. It was just a terrible day of tears. It was a good lesson. It was a good lesson that we had missed the reason for the season. We had rushed right past the manger to the Christmas tree. I know that waiting to open presents seems like a really important part of this season, but we need to think about why we do that at all. The reason that we have presents on Christmas morning is because Christians are, are so happy with the greatest gift that they have ever been given, the gift that God gives to us in the baby Jesus, coming to be one of us. The early Christians were so happy and excited by that gift that they wanted to share it by giving each other gifts to celebrate the birth of the Christ child. 
So it was really the giving that it was all about, not the getting. And when we stay at the manger instead of rushing to the Christmas tree, we really do get a sense of giving being more important than getting. Now on Christmas morning, if you get some things that you really wanted, well, that's, that's a lovely bonus. But the real point of gift giving is to remember the delight of the early Christians over the Christ child and to reclaim that for ourselves, to reclaim the joy that we have of the greatest gift of God in Jesus Christ. So let us remember what this season is all about. I know the waiting is hard, but it's, it's a lot easier if you remember the reason for the season and focus on the manger and not the presents under the Christmas tree. Thank you so much. See you next Sunday. As we prepare to receive God's holy word, let us go to God in prayer. Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us. For you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all day long. Amen. Our New Testament lesson this morning is found in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, beginning with the third verse. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the first chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with the 18th verse. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they had lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son. And he named him Jesus. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Some of what we know about Joseph is found in the Bible. A lot of what we know about Joseph is inferred from the text. For example, in the gospel lesson this morning, we learn from the narrator and the angel several things. We learn that Joseph was engaged to Mary. In that day, engagements were legally binding. They could be broken only by going through the court system. So in effect, engagements were the same as marriage, and typically engagements lasted a long time. The two families came together, signed the papers, and when the young people came of age, they married. We guess that Mary was probably very young. Some say as young as 13. But we infer that Joseph was considerably older. We know that he is established in his profession. We know that he has developed a reputation among all who know him as a righteous man. And that is a characterization that can only come about over a period of time. A long period of time in which you show yourself to be trustworthy and steadfast. We know that there is no mention of G Joseph after Jesus turns 12 and pulls his disappearing act at the temple, losing his parents for three days. We know that when Jesus is crucified, Joseph is not there. Joseph is not mentioned. So we can assume that Joseph dies somewhere in Jesus' adolescence or young adulthood. Joseph is older than Mary. And this morning's gospel lesson introduces us to the bind he is in. Joseph is engaged to Mary Mary, but he discovers that she is pregnant and that the baby cannot possibly be his. What is he going to do? He is a man who wants to do the right thing, but what is that exactly? There are two options that are open to Joseph. First, he could get the opinion of people in town. Go to the coffee shop, get on the phone, take the problem to work, talk about it around, around the water cooler. But Joseph doesn't do that. He will not disgrace Mary. That's what the text says. He will not expose her. 
He will not humiliate her. So what is the other option? Well, if you look up the 22nd chapter of Deuteronomy, it lays out the other option. She is to be taken out and stoned to death in front of the people. Joseph is a good man, and he rises to a point that is remarkable for his day and time. He loves his scripture, and he knows his scripture, and he wants it to tell him what to do. But he also reads it through a lens, the lens of the character and nature of a God who is loving and kind. Therefore, Joseph decides not to harm, abuse, expose, shame, or demean Mary, and decides instead that he will protect her. A quiet break was literally a matter of life and death. Adultery by an engaged woman was punishable by stoning. Is it possible that years later, when confronted by an angry mob about to execute a woman guilty of adultery, Jesus thought about his mother's predicament and how close she had come to the same fate? Joseph was simply trying to do the right thing. He had been wronged by this unfaithful woman, and he should have broken the engagement. The law entitled him to drag her before the elders for judgment and execution. But again, trying to do the right thing, he wanted to save her life and the life of the illegitimate child in her womb. She could go visit some relatives, have the baby, give it up for adoption, and move on with her life. And Joseph could move on with his. It was the right and lawful thing to do. Or it was until that angel showed up in his dreams. This Joseph is much like his namesake a millennium and a half before, that pesky boy with the many-colored coat who kept having dreams about the world to come. Joseph, the angel said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's not the last time we'll hear that phrase in this story about the baby. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her really is from the Holy Spirit. No, really, Joseph, you can't make this stuff up. It's a boy, and you must name him Yeshua. The Lord saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Afraid of what? of the law, of shame, of your reputation or Mary's? Afraid of not doing the right thing because marrying an adulterous woman is just wrong in so many ways? How can an angel tell you to break God's law? Is this a fallen angel, a demon, tempting Joseph to disobey God's clear commandment? If we start making exceptions from the law, then the whole society breaks down. Nothing is higher than the law, and we need to do the right thing. Kentucky novelist Wendell Berry, in his short story, Fidelity, tells of the hospitalization of farmer Burley Coulter. Burley had no surviving relatives except his illegitimate son, Danny Branch. So when Burley went into a coma and was placed on life support, no one was able to make decisions about his medical care. Knowing that his father would never want to be kept alive by machine or to die in a hospital, 
Danny sneaks back up a stairway in the middle of the night, disconnects Burley from the machinery, carries him down the stairs to his pickup truck, and drives him out to a deserted barn. There, Danny makes Burley as comfortable as he can, builds a fire for warmth, and lets Burley die in peace. He then takes his father out into the woods that he loved and buries him in an unmarked grave. Well, this, of course, is a kidnapping, so the FBI is brought into the case. Detective Kyle Bode quickly determines Danny is the most likely suspect, but no one in the community will help him find or indict Danny. The FBI agent goes to the community lawyer, Wheeler Catlett, demanding his help because Catlett is an officer of the court and the law has been broken. But Wheeler refuses to cooperate, noting that while one might need permission to get into a hospital, no one needs permission to leave one because that would make it not a hospital, but a prison. Well, anyway, the detective said, all I know is that the law has been broken and that I am here to serve the law. But my boy, you don't eat or drink by the law or sit in the shade of it or warm yourself by it or wear it or have your being in it. The law exists only to serve. Serve what? Why, all the things that are above it, love. Law is important. Rules are important. If we are going to live together without chaos, we need to have some boundaries for doing so. The law tells us what we expect of each other and what God expects of us. There are perfectly good reasons for laws about faithfulness and adultery and breach of contract and betrayal. We want people to keep their promises to each other and the consequences and have consequences when we don't do the right thing. Joseph is a wonderful model as a man of faith. He is trying with every ounce of his being to do the right thing with God and with other people, including his fiancée. But the angel tells him, there are things that are beyond the rules and above the law. The law exists to serve and primarily to serve love. So at Jesus' conception, God breaks the law to reveal to us through Joseph that love is always the right thing to do. Again and again during his adult life, Jesus will show us that love stands above all law, exercising compassion toward an adulterous woman, sharing meals with sinners, welcoming women, lepers, enemy collaborators, Samaritans and Romans, defying the power of civil and religious authorities. Finally, he breaks the most absolute law of all, the law of death. In the name of love, he surrenders himself to death, shattering its power forever on the third day. Only God, said St. Francis of Assisi, can say always and never. All laws and rules, great and petty, exist only to serve all the things that are above them, most of all, love. This week, as we make our way to the manger, wonder and be astounded at the story that breaks all the rules. Born in a stable, 
attended by poor shepherds and worshipped by pagan astrologers, hunted by the authorities and becoming an illegal immigrant, finally executed by the law in the name of the law, Jesus is not just his heavenly father's son, but he's Joseph's boy too. He's a chip off the block of the man who always wanted to do the right thing and who ended up obeying the higher call of love. Thanks be to God. Amen. Guard him, Joseph, as he slumbers there behind the stable doors. Let no errant sound distress him. Tread thy softly on the floor. Linger watchful round the manger, hush thy voice and still the beast, for thou hast within thy keeping Christ the infant, Prince of Peace. him, Joseph, through the darkness, watching o'er him till the dawn. Bid the shepherds enter meekly, stand in wonder, gaze in awe. Trim thy and shield thy candle, see they burn all through the night. For thou hast within thy keeping Christ the everlasting light. Joseph, from all danger, keep thy vigil nigh his bed. Let no harm nor grief befall him. Stand thou in a father's stead. When his mother's arms be
Son. God's own well beloved Son. Let us join in affirming our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now with the boldness of children of God, let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
go forth as a people of hope. Let hope live in your heart and share the hope of Christ with all whom you meet. Share hope by noticing someone else's humanity. Share hope by listening to someone's story. Share hope by praying for our world. In this Advent season, we need to see, feel, and share hope. As you go out into the wonder of God's creation, share hope with those whom you meet. Amen.